0: You are listening to the Journal of Rheumatology's Editor's Picks with Dr. Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief. Hello again from Toronto in the fine but what month of August where the weather is hot and the articles are hotter. I'm Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Rheumatology, bringing you five articles from the August 2019 edition of the journal that I believe will be of particular interest to you. First article I'd like to review is entitled Effect of Concomitant DMARD and Methotrexate Administration Route on Biologic Treatment Durability in RA, OBRI Cohort Results, and is by Lau and colleagues on behalf of the Ontario Best Practices Research Initiative, or OBRI. Some background to the study. Prior studies have suggested that concurrent conventional synthetic disease modifying anti rheumatic drugs, or CSDMARDs, enhances the efficacy of biologic DMARDs, or BDMARDs, in patients with RA. The aim of this study was to assess the effect of concomitant CSDMARD use on time to BDMARD discontinuation in a large Canadian observational cohort of patients with rheumatoid arthritis. A second aim was to assess if methotrexate route of administration influenced time to be DMARD discontinuation. The cohort consisted of 814 patients with RA, 18.8% who were treated with a biologic DMARD monotherapy, and the other 81.2% were true to the biologic DMARD in combination with at least one MARD. In 78% of the patients on the combination therapy, the C- MARD was methotrexate, and 50% of these patients on methotrexate were on a second DMARD. The authors found that patients treated with the combination of CSDMARD and BDMARD were less likely, to discontinuation BDMARD therapy because of an adverse event than patients on BDMARD therapy alone. Please read the paper to find out the hypothesis that the authors propose that led to this counterintuitive finding and determine for yourself if you agree with them and how the results of this study compared to other previously published studies examining the same issue. You will also learn if methotrexate therapy altered time to discontinuation of a biologic dmard Next article to highlight is entitled Economic Burden Among Commercially Insured Patients with Systemic Sclerosis in the United States and is by Zhao and colleagues. Systemic sclerosis or scleroderma is associated with significant comorbidities and has a limited or partially effective treatment. The aim of this study was to quantify healthcare resource utilization, work loss, annual direct and indirect costs in patients with systemic sclerosis in the United States. The authors used a large US commercial claims database to compare health-related resource utilization in 233 pairs of patients with systemic sclerosis to match controls. The controls were matched for age, sex, region of residence, and insurance type. The authors estimated costs using claims data in the first year following diagnosis of scleroderma. Not surprisingly, patients with scleroderma had more hospital admissions and a longer duration of hospital stay than match controls. Read the paper to find out what led to the hospital admissions and increased healthcare care costs. The paper breaks down the costs into medical costs, such as physician and hospitalization, et cetera, and pharmacy costs. As might be expected, patients with scleroderma had increased work days lost for both medically related absenteeism and days of disability. Although none of these findings may surprise you, I think you will be interested in this update of a cost analysis of the burden of the illness in patients with systemic sclerosis. The next paper is one on spondyloarthritis. that is entitled Clinical Characteristics of Patients' with arthritis in Japan in comparison with other regions of the world and is by Kishimoto and colleagues. Well, you could guess from the title that the aim of the paper was to delineate the clinical characteristics of patients with arthritis in Japan as compared to other areas of the world. The authors used data from the ASAS Compospa cohort which is an international cross-sectional observational study of patients with spondyloarthropathy. They analyzed and compared information on demographics, disease characteristics, comorbidities, treatment, and risk factors associated with disease development. There were 3,984 patients in the total cohort, and investigators divided these patients into three regions, which were Japan, other Asian regions which were Singapore, China, South Korea, and Taiwan, and non-Asian countries which consisted of Europe, the Americas, and Africa. They then compared the 161 patients from Japan to the 933 patients from the other Asian countries to, and the 2,890 patients from the non-Asian countries. Overall, the authors found substantial differences in the Japanese cohort as compared to the cohorts from other parts of Asia and the non-Asian countries. Please read this article to see how spondylitis differs in different regions of the world and what the authors suggest may have led to these differences. Next article is a pediatric article and is entitled Pediatric Antibiotic Refractory Lyme Arthritis, a multi-center case-control study, and is by Horton and colleagues, and this article is accompanied by an editorial by Dr. Alan Steer. A little background. Currently, Lyme disease is the most common vector-borne illness in Europe and North America. Resolution of Lyme arthritis is seen in approximately 90% of cases, which then leaves 10% of cases refractory to treatment. The aim of this study was to identify clinical and treatment factors associated with antibiotic-resistant Lyme arthritis in a pediatric cohort seen in three pediatric rheumatology clinics in a Lyme endemic area. The authors identified 49 children with persistently active arthritis despite at least eight weeks of oral antibiotics or at least two weeks of parental antibiotics. They compared the demographic, clinical, and treatment factors of these patients to 188 children whose arthritis resolved within three months of starting antibiotic. Please read the article to find out which clinical and treatment-related features were seen most frequently in each of the two groups. Some of the findings may surprise you. I also suggest that you read the accompanying editorial, entitled Treatment of Lyme Arthritis by Dr. Alan Steer. As you will remember, it was in the early 1970s that children and adults in Lyme, Connecticut and its surrounding area developed swollen knees, skin rashes, headaches, and late neurologic symptoms as well as chronic fatigue. It was a mother of one of these children then complained to the Connecticut State Health Department. The health department then got Dr. Steer involved, and he has been studying the disease since this time. Please read his editorial to get his perspective on how to best diagnose this disease, how to treat Lyme disease, as well as how to treat Lyme-resistant arthritis. The last article I'd like to highlight is entitled Ultrasonographic and Clinical Assessment." of peripheral enthesitis in patients with psoriatic arthritis, psoriasis, and fibromyalgia syndrome, The Ulysses study. It is by Maccioni and colleagues, and is accompanied by an editorial by Dr. Philip Peliwa. The aim of this cross-sectional study was to evaluate the prevalence of clinical and ultrasonographic enthesial involvement in patients with psoriatic arthritis, psoriasis, and fibromyalgia syndrome. The authors examined 140 patients with psoriatic arthritis, 51 patients with psoriasis, and 51 patients with fibromyalgia syndrome. All of these patients underwent a clinical evaluation of their entheses, as well as B-mode and Power Doppler ultrasound. Please read this article to find out how clinical and ultrasound examinations correlated, as well as the frequency of clinical and ultrasound detected enthesitis. After reading this article, you will be able to determine for yourself the usefulness of ultrasound examination and clinical examination of the emphasis in these three patient groups. Please read Dr. Heliwal's accompanying editorial as he examines the strengths and weaknesses of the study and how the study fits into other studies in the field. You will also find out how ultrasound has changed Dr. Heliwal's perspective on the pathogenesis of psoriatic arthritis. I want to thank you all for listening to my summary of what I felt were particularly interesting articles appearing in the August 2019 issue of the Journal of Rheumatology. As usual, I hope my summaries will lead you to reading not only these five articles, but all the articles in this edition of the journal. Please read either the print edition or the online edition, which can be found at www.jru.org. If you have any comments on this summary or any articles appearing in the Journal of Rheumatology, please send them to manuscripts at jroom.com. I look forward to having you listen again to my editor's pick for the September edition of the Journal of Rheumatology.